table X, like what does that do? And I'll be like, um, let me tell you a story. It's time for Arrested DevOps, the podcast where we help you achieve understanding, develop good practices, and operate your team and organization for maximum DevOps awesomeness. I'm Maddie Stratton, and with me today is Jessica Kerr. We are talking with Sylvia Botros of Twilio SendGrid about what it means to be a principal engineer. But first, a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Datadog, a monitoring tool that helps bridge the gap between operations and dev teams. Datadog brings together system metrics, changes, alerts, and events from over 120 common infrastructure tools, such as Chef, Docker, and AWS, so that dev and ops teams share their key data and alerts in a single place and collaborate on issues in real time. Datadog is available for a free 14-day trial at arresteddevops.com datadog. The worst time to learn about instant response is during an incident. Don't wait for an outage to strike before getting started. The PagerDuty Instant Response Training Course is now open source and free for everyone at response.pagerduty.com. Based on the same training that PagerDuty employees go through, this course will show you how to streamline your incident response process, turn chaos into calm, and demonstrate the role of an incident commander. So what are you waiting for? Go to response.pagerduty.com today and check it out. The worst thing about the Arrested DevOps podcast is when it ends. You're left wondering what to do next. What are you going to listen to on your commute home? How do you occupy your time when walking the dog? What are you going to listen to during the quarterly all-hands meeting? But fear not, dear listener, there is a solution. You need to subscribe to Software Defined Talk right now. It's a weekly podcast that recaps all the news in cloud computing, DevOps, and enterprise software. The hosts, Kote, Matt Ray, and Brandon Wichard, will keep you up to date on all things cloud while offering tips on how to optimize your Costco haul and how to PowerPoint. It's a fun, free-flowing conversation that will keep you entertained and informed. What are you waiting for? Subscribe to the podcast today by visiting softwaredefinedtalk.com or by searching for Software Defined Talk in your favorite podcast app. I am really happy that we finally got Sylvia to join us. I, I uh, cornered her at scale a couple months ago and said, pull out your phone, get your calendar. I'll get my calendar. Let's, let's, let's make this thing happen. So Sylvia is an expert database engineer, and she also has a lot to share with us about what it means to be a principal engineer. So Sylvia, can you start out telling us a little bit about yourself and your experience, and then we'll dive right in. Sure thing. Um, so let's see. My name, like Jessica just said, is Sylvia Botros. I work with uh, Twilio Sangrid. I've been in the field for just over 10 years now. I've been with, with Sangrid and now Twilio Sangrid uh, for a little over seven years now. Um, I started off like a lot of people um, who are DBAs as not a DBA. Um, uh, Python, that uh, was a job over in New York City with a now gone CDN. Uh, involved Python scripts, uh, some UI work using Django. And um, one day the database had issues. Turns out nobody was actually taking care of that. And the rest is history. Uh, that's how everybody just trips on a database and then they never come out. I don't, I don't actually know anybody who like grew up saying, I'm going to manage databases. That is not a thing. They grow up saying, I want to be an engineer maybe. But managing databases is not a thing people aspire to do. They just trip on them. And they're, they're very easy to trip on. <laughs> um, 
Fast I used to forward. say the same thing about, I was going to say, you say the same thing about, about sysadmin. Like none of us said, right? and then I had an intern who interviewed with me for a tech ops intern job. And he said, I was like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he goes, I want to be a sysadmin. I'm like, you're the first person I've ever heard that. And you are hired. <laughs> <laughs> that is a great combination of like, I don't care. Versus plus, plus I want to like hurt myself. Maybe <laughs> it's harsh. <laughs> Um, but yeah, fast forward, uh, I lost it with that first job about four years. Uh, after that, I moved back to California and uh, that's when I started with Sengrid. Uh, Sengrid was my first job where I was actually with the title of DBA. Um, I thought when I started, I knew how to do databases, but man, like I, I learned a lot. Uh, turns out doing things at scale is a whole other story. Um, yeah, so, uh, seven years of growing. Um, I think when I started, when I started the company, engineering was all about 30 ish people. The whole company was 60 ish people. We were sending maybe a hundred million emails a day. Uh, we are now on the order of um, our high sending day was last cyber Monday was 3 billion in the one day. And we are now a company of uh, 500 and about, Two months, little over two months ago, we got acquired by Twilio, and we are now part of a, an org of a few, a, a few thousand. So it's been quite a ride. I ran into somebody from Twilio at the uh, passport control in Heathrow a few weeks ago, and she saw that because I have the Twilio sticker on my suitcase, and she's like, "Oh, why do you have that?" She's like, "I work at Twilio." <laughs> and I was like, "What are the odds?" Nice. You know. So this is why I put lots of stickers in my suitcase. It's a conversation starter. So you are now a principal engineer, yes? That's your fancy title? Um, as of Monday, senior principal engineer? Oh, senior principal. Ooh, congratulations. Wow. Wow. What that means is now I have a lot more meetings. Okay, right. Oh, no. So you're a calendar. My, no, my, my fellow senior engineers, uh, senior principal engineers, and my now former boss, who, who Maddie knows and used to work with, John Martin, uh, will enjoy me admitting that at this point. How many engineers are in the organization of which you are a senior principal engineer? So um, Sanguine Engineering is still operating um, on its own. Uh, we talk we talk a lot with Twilio Engineering, but um, as far as, you know, day-to-day stuff, it's still pretty much uh, a separate leadership org. Um, Sanguine Engineering is, I think, about 130, could be a little bit more than that by now. So let's get started with definitions, because definitions are always fun. And we never argue about them at all. Uh, what is generally, but when we talk about being a principal engineer, and there's been, I've, I've noticed a lot of conversations on the Twitterverse about this lately, kind of going back and forth about the responsibilities. So what, Sylvia, to you, what, what is generally meant by principal engineer? So for me and, um, and, and my org so far, the principal engineer tends to be and I wrote a blog post about this recently, and it apparently sparked a lot of conversations. Um, it is not like a senior, senior engineer. So like usually in a, in a technical ladder in companies, especially as they're still growing, uh, you'll see where um, first everybody is an engineer. And then as the company has been around for maybe two, three years, they'll start saying, okay, we're going to have some people who are more experienced um, be called senior engineer. But then after that, people start wanting to have a more elaborate career ladder. And um, in my mind, that does not mean that just like because someone has been senior engineer for like five, six years or something or four years, um, that that means they get to be principal. And, and to me, it's it's a different playing field. It's far more strategic. It's far more um, business oriented. It's involving a lot more influence. I think the biggest part of it is being an influencer uh, without 
the management title and the like supposed authority of having performance review authority over people. Um, principal engineers end up being uh, essentially like that's that's where you start growing tech leadership in your org um, without them being uh, part of uh, calibration and and the performance reviews of of the engineers. So it's it's influencing everybody around them to do better without um, without the authority of a title. I think briefly you said the supposed authority of their performance reviews. I like that. I know. Well, because it's it's a weird one. Uh, ideally, in the idealistic world, is that part of the performance review of specifically even senior engineers that they um, that they collaborate well, that they get the team to work together better. Realistically, not all shops it ends up being that way. Sometimes it ends up being a game of like. God, I even heard sometimes of like, it's like lines of codes, although I hope that's not a thing anymore. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, there's there's the, um, ideally you want the the things that the principal engineers are doing in collaboration with their team and pushing their team for better practices and uh, more scalable and more resilient infrastructure that that feeds into the performance review and it becomes a collaborative thing with the manager. Um, another thing that I really look in, consider super important in a principal engineer is like they need to be a force multiplier. Um, even before I got this recent title change, when I was, I have been a principal engineer before, before this Monday by like for about a year and a half. And during that time, there was a clear transition away from me writing code and towards me teaching others how to write code that, that's actually clean and doesn't cause us trouble so too fast down the line. So um, one of the big parts of principal engineering in my mind is you teach far more than you actually do yourself. Um, this made, this is definitely a spectrum depending on how big the engineering org is. Like if you're, if you're a smaller shop, maybe you end up actually hands-on more. But uh, when the org is as big as ours is, uh, I think it's totally valid to say, no, principal engineers are more uh, writing design documentation, um, build making the plans for how to build the thing and helping the team build the thing um they get hands-on still for a bit but it's not the biggest part of the job the biggest part of the job especially if the team their pe on has you know level ones and level two like right out of college um if they're not focused on teaching and mentoring then there's something amiss here so you kind of think about you know having having a lot of expertise what what are kind of some of those areas that you that you would look for for someone who in, in that role? Like, where do they need to be an expert? My view on that one has been a little bit skewed. So I I started off as a DBA. Uh, we at some point down the line at my my journey at Sangre, we switched to DBE because it turns out like I was actually implementing the role with writing a lot more code than just like manually managing databases. But that's a semantic thing. Um, but in my experience, it has been I I was a principal engineer with a focus on data stores. Um, and I think it's fine in the PE level to have, you know, the part of the tech stack that you're most comfortable with. That's your like, that's your happy ground. And then you still have to, as a principal engineer, expand expand the knowledge to be into things that are slightly outside of um, of your comfort zone. Um, people like to call it either like bell-shaped engineers or they'll flip the graph and say it's T-shaped engineers. It doesn't really matter, but that's basically the idea. Um, since I've taken on principal engineering and, and now now senior part, um, my focus has been a little bit as well into making sure I, I expand the horizons 
outside MySQL. Like I spent many, many years doing the MySQL thing and I, I got that down now. So like now it's time to expand to other things. When we think about those those skills that kind of are the hallmark of a principal engineer, if someone's kind of looking to maybe make that transition, like what skills do they need to have? I think one of the most controversial one, that's, that's one that, that people sort of push back on. And I, I, I stand by my opinion on that one is if you're making the move from senior engineer and you want to be a PE in an org that had, that has uh, an accurate definition of PE, it's also, it's, it's a two way street. Like if the, if the leadership of the org doesn't understand what PE means, that might be a bigger problem. Um, but presuming, presuming good understanding of what PE is, it's going to have to involve learning how to talk to people. And not just to other engineers, um, PEs are expected to understand how to talk to product managers, how to talk to finance, how to talk to security. Uh, an org that is getting to the point where they want to start defining principal engineers in their org, I would presume would be large enough that they're going to start wanting to do things like security certifications. And the expectation, at least in, in my current job, is PEs are the ones who get to talk to security requirements in the things they're built. Like they if they're asked how is it um how is it encrypted how is it backed up how do you um how do you cover for all the controls and the compliance uh things that we have to uh, answer for PEs are have to be able to answer for that so it's uh, far more than just writing code which is why i was talking earlier about PEs don't get to just you know go in a cave and write code it is not a, it, is, it is not about um these are the best engineers and we're going to just let them go out in an ivory tower and build a thing and come back. It's the opposite of that. They're supposed to grow the rest of the org. It sounds like you're really concerned with the consequences of code beyond the immediate future. Yes, definitely. If the focus is on the code, sometimes, and I've seen engineers do this a lot, where it's more about how do I build the thing and like how, what color the bike shed is going to be versus what am I like, and, very, and they lose sight of what I'm solving for the customers. Um, I would consider it a big red flag if someone is is being titled or leveled as a principal engineer in an org and they don't have an understanding of what am I trying to solve for my customers. So, And that's why I was saying like one of the biggest things is being able to talk to product and explain why I want to build a thing. What is that going to solve? Being able to formulate what you're trying to do um, in the interest of the audience you're speaking to and not just because it's cool. Yeah. I imagine you also contribute to discussions with product by having knowledge of the limitations. Yes. So that, that goes, that goes both ways. Um, you also need a product org that will actually listen to the technical expertise when necessary and, you know, get in the same page as to what we're trying to, what we're asking for versus what and how much is going to cost, how much time it's going to take. Um, so yeah, we do, um, what the way we go through this process at Sengrid is, um, Products first goes through uh, what is called a um, a canvas, which basically lays out what is the problem, which specific customer type we're trying to solve a thing for. Um, and then there's solution validation where the product team works closely with engineers to figure out, yeah, to figure out the solution so that their perspective as the voice of the customer is still involved. And a lot of times that's where um, the PEs get involved because, um, okay, you want to build a thing that's going to be 
um, let's say it's, it's involved a database. I'm always go back to my comfort zone. Um, you want a database that's going to have the customer's data and it needs to be um, in multiple regional locations, but you want everything that you write to it to be consistent and available <laughs> in all those regions at the same time. Cool. It'll cost a billion dollars. We are going to have to, we can only use GCP. It's going to have to be spanner and it's going to cost this much because it's that much data. It's important to have PEs on teams that will be able to explain this in English where it's not just like, it's not, um, I really dislike the dismissive attitude of some of, of the tech community of like, this is just a product person, they don't understand. But no, like they are also the voice of your customer. So um, if you don't explain to them why the thing they're asking for is going to cost this much or what are the actual physical limitations um, you will always have this, this disconnect and you'll always have this um, sort of sense of animosity or, you know, um, exchange, you know, disappointment. There, and that's not a way to work. So uh, it's very important for the for, for someone who wants to be a PE to be able to understand what their product team's uh, motivations are, what they're trying to solve and try to help them find um, find solutions to the problems they're trying to solve. Is that something you learned to do or did it just come naturally? It did not come naturally. I I will admit back when I was um, still strictly DBA, this was before Sengrid had the full ladder. So my title at the time was just DBA. Um, but um, I was one of those people who would get cranky at customers, <laughs> not not directly at them, but like I would be like, man, this, this particular customer, like they keep making this call to this API and now the database is down. Um, it took me a while. Oh yeah, that's the customer's fault, definitely. <laughs> See, exactly. So I mean, I I totally admit, like years ago, that was totally me, and it took me a while to like understand the other side of the argument. Is like, no, they're trying to do a thing. Um, we built something that allowed them to do something that allowed them to make a volume of calls, for example, that is too much for our infrastructure. We allow this to happen. So have, being able to internalize it that way, it, I fully admit it took me a while to get there. Um, it was, I think part of it is like um, wanting, to, is, is, have, is, being, is going from working in a local context of I'm just getting the database to run versus having a more global context of the business of like, yeah, this, this business has customers. They're paying money for a certain solution of a problem, and um, I need to be able to help them do that. And that's another thing that's important to principal engineers. They need to be able to move from um, solving the local context of a problem of the team. Like, we're, we, need, we need to use a, uh, a resilient PubSub, uh, and it needs to be Kafka, but we don't know yet how to do Kafka, and it's like all the technical nitty-gritty. And at the same time, being able to track that in a straight, in a in a line from where they are in the technical stuff all the way to what am I actually solving for customers? And um, it sometimes will feel like a whiplash as a principal engineer going from yeah, totally. meetings with product. Yeah, going from meetings with product where we're talking big picture, um, solving things for a customer to like sprint planning where we're talking about the individual tickets that are involved in solving the particular thing in that project. But it's important to maintain that that perspective uh, from both sides. Yeah, that, that like zooming in and out of the detail of how are we going to implement this technically to the why are we doing this again is painful. I also like your example of, of rate limits, um, of recognizing the, the correct boundary there between if we let them do it, then we better support it. Exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. Because you take that limitation of the database can only handle so much and you push it to where they can see it in the API return call. 
Exactly. It's like they don't see this. If it's implied, like you, it's not fair to say later, well, who would want to call this API 50,000 times? <laughs> in a, well, if you build it, they might call it. Exactly. Uh, and it starts with great limits and it goes all the way to like even abs- more, even more abstract promises in a product. Like um, you can, you can up, like you can upload uh, contacts for, for millions and you expect the count to be accurate all the time. Well, how are we actually going to physically do that? Um, what kind of data store is going to be that strongly consistent at the same time, uh, accurate up to like X number of nines, things like that. Um, it's in, that's the that's the biggest part of a principal engineer's job is to make sure that what we're promising is what we're building setting expectations setting expectations um a big part of this uh structure also I should not let this uh slide is that we, we this is part of why we use a blueprint process so once 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 the product team has settled on okay this is the thing we're solving we're solving it for that particular kind of customer and this is the solution we think we will build. Uh, it doesn't end there. The delivery team that's building the thing has to also write down in a Google Doc, essentially, like how what's the current problem and what they're solving. There, there will be links for all the other artifacts, but uh, it's important to also write down what it is you're building. Uh, that way, it's it's a good onboarding mechanism for when you when you're constantly hiring engineers. Uh, it's a good way of getting everybody to read the thing and see if the thing they read means what they think it's supposed to mean. Um, and it's a good way to get back to uh, to these things later, as um, as 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 you're building the thing. Like you can get back to the requirements and see what we're supposed to do so that if there's surprises along the way and you have to make changes, they're more explicit and not just happenstance as like it just happened. So you have some information flowing both ways. Here's your, your high level blueprint document. Now you give us one coming back up so that we know you understood. Yes, we typically, that's part of the reason like the, the, the blueprints in, at SendGrid are, um, are in Google docs because we also make sure that as we go through it, um, that the product team can see it. So that um, as we call out limitations in the technical details of it, of like, we're gonna use this AWS service and it's SLA is X, but um, what product wants is like a couple of nines ahead of that. That's a good place to start, you know, highlighting, adding people and be like, hey, product person, this is what we can do with that particular thing. If you want those number of nines, we will have to figure out something more elaborate and complex, and that will affect delivery time. So conversations can this can happen in that venue. Um, we also have a group of um, an, architecture, an architecture team that will look at these things and basically see if they if any of the design decisions in there can cause what we call one way doors, where you can't change this thing down the line, or you can't add any certain features down the line. It may seem a bit waterfallish and elaborate, but it's. I think um, we try very hard to keep it uh, flowing fast. But the important thing is to uh, not to let things happen by happenstance. When you have a large customer base that are building businesses on top of what you provide, it is very important to be aware that we can't just like build things and throw them over the wall, like. like the, the, the journey from a proof of concept to in production needs to be more um, intentional and not just by accident this thing worked and now there's customers using it. I have a question. Mm-hmm. So when, when something does go into production, 
as a principal engineer, are you involved in making sure that it's accomplishing what it was supposed to? That's a good one. Um, I, I have slightly less of a view into that by the, by virtue of the fact that I'm a principal engineer, but I'm not on a delivery team. What we call delivery teams are the teams that are directly involved with building the things that the customers use. My team is database ops. So we manage the databases and the data stores that help you, that support these things. So we are slightly removed from that view. Um, I can imagine having been around the teams in the office, um, that's where that's the feedback loop from the product person. So the product managers don't just, you know, ask for the new thing and then they're on to the new thing. At least I would hope not. But uh, I would imagine within the delivery team context, that would be um, um, the feedback loop. And I have seen many of blueprints. Uh, I've been with the architecture team for like six months now. So all the blueprints pass by us and it's totally valid that there will be a blueprint for the thing. And then, uh, quarter later or so you'll see a second blueprint that is the v2 of that thing with all the improvements that's now have come based on customer feedback and a lot of times when we look at blueprints we will review them with the awareness that this is a brand brand new thing there's a lot of unknowns versus blueprints that are like say rewrites of all services and we know exactly what we want to build those are two different stances when you're looking at a design document that we're discovering what we want to build versus we already know yeah, exactly. I think one reason rewrites are appealing is because it's the only time we have anywhere near complete requirements. Exactly. But then on the other hand, like you're supposed to have a higher bar while you're rewriting the thing that is not just <laughs> because go school, maybe. You mentioned that one of uh, your roles and the roles of the blueprints and the information going back and forth is to... Um, notice the impact of the SLAs of the underlying services that we're using on the, the SLA of the feature as a whole, mm-hmm. which is really hard. You can't test that stuff. You have to like math. Yeah. A lot of times it's like literally starts with math. Um, you'll see things, for example, within the AWS context, like it'll be like, well, this particular service is, is going to promise you four nines. In a single region, uh, you realize that if your customers are actually multi-regional, that the SLA that you can provide them based on just that one thing alone, which is only a part of the stack, not the whole thing, is going to be slightly less nines. Because if it's a service that is not, like say it's Redshift and it doesn't have multi-region built into it, how do I handle that? Do I start building a second cluster? Do I start building some custom thing in between to, to you know ship data back and forth? Uh, it can be, it is, it is good to, to have these conversations early on so that this is exactly how people can find themselves in a place where they have built a contraption of multiple things. And the more things you add, the lower your overall possible potential SLA is going to be like the more parts you put in, the more fragile this thing is going to be. That's just how it goes. Totally. How many people look at a blueprint before it, before people are satisfied with it? So some blueprints are actually pretty simple and they end up being like literally like a couple of engineers. Um, we have our architecture team. Most of them are uh, assigned by program area. So each group of engineering teams will have an architect that, that they, that they work with. Um, so there, there will be that dynamic. And then there's architects and there's principal engineers. Yes. So typically principal engineers are within the delivery team. They are essentially almost like, 
like a team lead. Um, we don't commonly have more than one PE in a single team, although when we start needing to, it's a sign that maybe this team has grown and their scope has grown and we need to find some line to split into two teams. Uh, these kind of things, of course, like depends on the context, what are the services, the people involved, where are they Are they in their career? So a lot of things go into that, that decision. Um, but uh, typically, principal engineers are not part of the architecture team. The architecture team has been uh, pretty much the senior principal engineers. Um, I sort of joined it before I got the titles, and then like six months later, got the title. That's basically how that went down. Um, but um, as far as how many people look at a blueprint, it starts with the, um, with the team itself that's going to build the thing. Uh, their architect working with them on the details and pointing out any parts where the he, where he or she will feel that it's, there's something missing. Uh, and then the blueprint will maybe at that stage start getting a lot of reviews from the product person. If they start seeing that there's something they asked for that's not explicitly covered. Uh, and then the whole architecture team will review the blueprint. Um, and at that point, you're, you're, you can proof of concept, you can sort of research and build things in uh, not in production up to that phase. So it's not an expectation that you have to fill the entire thing, know all the things and get approval. And then you can start writing code. That's definitely not the case, but um, it's a gate to production because that's where you're impacting customers. What are some examples when we, because again, everybody loves to to talk about titles and everything. <laughs> where, where are some examples where this term principal engineer, or the title, where, where is it misused? Oh, what's a, what's all over Silicon spell? Valley. <laughs> all over Silicon It's, you know, titled lottery over there. <laughs> um, I, so that my, so my opinion is that if the company is still, you know, first couple of years, the entire engineering team is like a dozen or two that's that's where your engineers are at like that's you're still at the finding your product market fit you probably don't actually need this title just yet although i have seen as i help with interview teams that we we would get people who have heard their their last job was like literally like 20 people the entire company not just engineering but the entire company and they're coming with a title called architect and they're requiring to have that <laughs> I, I look at that a little bit with a side eye, like, uh, yeah, no. Um, I, my, in my it's mind, about it's salary bands. Uh. Exactly. I know. Um, but I, I question that. Uh, although I have seen it in the past, I've heard stories where people will, will be offered the salary band for whatever, somehow, and, uh, and still are like, no, but I want the title. Yeah. Um, I, I question, I question that too. Uh, it's, but it's, it's a, it's a certain, there's, if you're going to come with the title and you want to have that, you need to actually show like what it is you built and what scale it was. Um, staff engineer at Google is not equal, you know, principal engineer or architect at company that's 18 months old and just now hit a certain monthly recurring revenue. So along those lines, like what are, what are the big challenges that you face uh, as a, as a principal engineer? Definitely the calendar. <laughs> That's I'm still working on that one. Like I, I still I'm I'm still at the early phase of this where I like look at I'm like man I need to sit down and write like not even code anymore. Like so I've I've let go of that, but um, I want to sit down and there's this wiki page I promised someone I was gonna write about the thing we're gonna do, and I'm looking at the calendar. I'm like well next week maybe. Uh... I know. Um, so there's there's that. Um, 
other than that, I think the biggest thing is um, it's finding the middle ground for everybody. Um, I still like to build things like the right way, quote unquote, the right way. Um, but as you get higher up in this decision stack, especially um, as a senior principal engineer, uh, you become far more aware of um, all sorts of other limitations that can hamper a certain decision. Um, this feature is needed by a customer with a certain MRR and we need to get it by X date. Um, this particular thing, this is now, this is a insecurity risk. Everybody needs to get that fixed now. We have to put everything aside and do it. These are all stories that I'm sure everybody else has hit in some way or another. Um, so this is how you start learning how to um, find those middle grounds um, and hope that you, like, you, you were able to actually pick the right one. Um, it, you, we can't always just wait forever and build the perfect thing. That's just not going to happen. I, I like that point that becoming more senior at some point means building things less right. Yeah. Uh, we like to call that in our team, uh, strong opinions, loosely held. Um, so we have, we like, there are certain things we know we shouldn't do like, Hey, don't, don't build a database and have it be single region and, and put it as part of the product that we promise everybody is multi-region, for example, um, things like that. But at the same time, um, don't be like a no person. Um, and I used to be that when I was, uh, early in my DBA days at Sangrid, I used to be like, no, you're not doing X. I rightfully earned a good amount of flag for that one. But, uh, uh, you you learn as you get more senior because if you're gonna as you get more senior in engineering you're gonna have to work with outside engineering because that code is worth nothing if customers are not paying for it and the way customers pay for it is by the product people to actually tell you what they need and the salespeople selling that thing you built so unless you learn how to talk with those groups and actually fulfill their needs then what are we even doing it's that thing where your job isn't to say no it's to say how do we get to yes exactly and it's a, it's a unique position to be because you still get super high contact with the technical stuff. Um, in this particular kind of dynamic, the expectation from the team, from the engineering managers is to be the ones helping the team, you know, move forward in their career. They're responsible for making sure that they are the glue of the communication across the org. Um, but because of all that, it's, it happens. Engineering managers will not be as in tune with the, how the actual technical implementation works. That's what the PE is supposed to do. That's where you partner up with those engineering managers and help bridge that gap. What's the best part of your job? I, I'll say a bit of a paradox there. Actually, the best part of it is also the calendar because I do get to talk to so many people. <laughs> wow. I know. I know. I'm... <laughs> You, you've caught me at, an inf at a time where I'm like, things are in flux. Um, it's, 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 so here's, here's how I'm thinking about it. So like, sometimes I do feel like I'm doing so many meetings and I can't sit down and do certain other tasks. But at the same time, um, it's really cool being able to um, basically some, in some parts of my day, take off the engineer hat and sit down with the product person and watch how they're thinking through the thing. Or some days, um, I actually enjoy those even more, um, take off my DBA hat and pretend I'm a security engineer and talk with one of our InfoSec compliance people and be like, here's how all the ways this can go sideways, but here's how possible that is. So conversations like that are always fun. Um, so it's, uh, there's definitely enough context switching in those calls that I always feel like I'm solving new things. So that's, that's definitely really cool. 
I mean, also like big part of this is just being in an org where we're growing super fast. The customer growth is huge. We're part of a larger org. There's a lot of conversation about um, things we can do together. So, you know, um, there's also that as well. But just in the abstract, it's um, if you're a PE, you're going to have to talk with products. You're going to have to talk with InfoSec. You're going to have to talk with um, even customer supports a lot. Uh, you're going to have to talk with the account success uh reps who talk with the high volume customers. And these are all people with completely different perspectives on how to use the thing that your team builds. And this is how you get to actually translate a lot of stuff. So you have like all this context on um, not just engineering and databases, but specifically uh, the, the technical system in your organization and your customers. And now you're learning security and all this other stuff. Do you ever hire in principal engineers? We do. That seems um, really hard, like to just to come in and gather that kind of context. That's, I mean, I don't know. I'm not the best person to talk about how hard it is. There's definitely difficulty to it, but we have done it. Uh, a, a few of the people on my architecture team are um, did not come up through the ranks the way I have. Um, this is where, you know, onboarding is a team exercise, I suppose. Um, Especially so like Sanger did not write everything down the way we do now, like six years ago. That's for dang sure. So, well, and even if you had, who's going to go read six years of blueprints? Oh, God, yes. Um, even like we have a lot of blueprints now and this process is only like two or three years old, I think. Um, no, more like three years. But anyway, but you're right. Like it's a lot of reading. Um, this is where um, onboarding can be a very important um, team exercise. We, uh, we do things like, at Sangri, we do things, there's what we call support bootcamp, which our support team actually throws together, but they invite everybody to it. It's a four-day course where you get to sit in a room as the student of the support team, and they get to show you how to use the product, all parts of the product. Um, and we encourage everybody um, to, to do it whenever they can. Um, I did it. I did it two years after I started, and it was still very educational. I would like to do it again at this point because that was like five years ago, and I'm sure and a lot of things have changed. It is super, super educational. You get to sit there and watch how how the support team uses these things. They get to sort of throw in tidbits of like complaints they hear about certain parts of the product, and it gets really, really interesting. So that's a great, great way to onboard. And then there's, of course, you know, you go to the archaeologists of the org, which I'm definitely one of them. So, nice. Um, Table X, like, what does that do? And I'll be like, um, let me tell you a story. <laughs> Things like that. Uh, that's, that's part of my role at this point as well. It's like, uh, it happens a lot where I'll get a PM from someone who's like, I don't know, one of the engineers in one of the many teams and uh, they're working on Blueprint and it involves, you know, some, not even necessarily tables, but sometimes it'll be like a service or a piece of code. But because I've been around for, for so long, like I'll have stories. Um, that's definitely a big part of my of my role this now the, the, at this point. But that's that's maybe more me than principal engineering specifically. That's just you know she's been around long enough. She's seen things. <laughs> that is a really important role. That sort of repository of history. And whenever I join someplace, I try to find those people and make. I like that. So that organizational archaeologist. You know. Yeah. That's that's pretty pretty apt. <laughs> uh, what do you what do you uh, interested in learning these days uh definitely like more I, i'm trying to learn um about number of data stores that are outside my sql um 
data stores are the worst. Like there's, I, I, I firmly believe none of them, none of them will work all the time. It's just a matter of like, how long has it been around? Has anybody else found the sharp edges or is it going to be you? So, yeah. so that's one of the things I'm trying to focus on these days. It's like, okay, you want to use this new cool thing. You tried some benchmarks so far has been going well. I'm, I'm a bit of a, I don't want to call it Debbie Downer because that's not great, but a little bit, but a bit of a pragmatist, I guess. Um, but I'm like physics, like which part of this is going to fall apart? Something is going to. So main, maintaining that mindset, um, be, uh, creating that tension between the like between me and the engineering teams, like trying to poke poke at the thing and trying to understand where's the limitations. Um, as long as we end up building a thing that we feel is at least going to support us for you know X years or something. Well, and, and you're a good tester for this stuff because our listeners might not know, but you actually <laughs> are very good at just disrupting electronics by being near them. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's rough times, dude. Uh, what was the last thing that happened? There's been many, many stories of me breaking things every day. Um, one I remember recently is I was booking a trip to Denver. We use Concur for our, uh, for our bookings. I managed to make the booking for the hotel to fail twice. And then on the third one, it was like, you already have this place booked. Dun, dun, dun. Um, I'm like I'm a living Jepson. Hi, Kyle Kingsbury. Um, I'm a live like <laughs> like can I just Jepson this thing? Like it literally like one side of it thinks I don't have anything booked, the other side has it, and they're arguing in front of me on the web. It's almost like data stores are hard, right? It's the worst. I'm kind of failing to remember right now, which is which is sad. But um, too many stories. Um, yeah, um, I remember uh, a few months before that. So one of our primary data centers is in Chicago. Um, I landed in Denver and immediately like we had a major network flap in there and the entire team yelled at me. They're like, where are you? And I'm like, I just landed in Denver. And they're like, you're not allowed to get this close to the data center. (laughs) It's bad. Um, Yeah. I just, I break things all the time. Um, In fact, I, I, Sometimes I'll break things just for me. I, I managed to sh- load up one of our pages on the Twilio website and it was completely broken in the CSS. Nobody else could re- um, replicate it. Our entire, like all of Twilio marketing engineering, we're like, we're trying all of the versions of our browser testing software that we have, including what you say you're using. It's working. And I was like, well, I guess. Oh, I found one the other day that if my resolution was exactly just so, then the website fonts were way off. See? Yeah, yeah. the font size had to be this and the the window size had to be this. And I know my my team keeps calling me like you're you're a living, breathing EMP. And I'm like, no, it's just that all computers are bad. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe both. (laughs) (laughs) They're lucky that you still use them. I don't know why they still let me use them. I'm not sure. <laughs> so as we're kind of uh, getting getting close to, to wrapping up, what, I know this is always an, an area fraught with peril, but you know, what, uh, what advice would you give someone who's kind of coming up through the ranks that wants to, to, um, to get into more of a technical leadership role like this, not necessarily a managing one, but, you know, kind of leading from example, leading from design, what are what are some some advice that you could give to folks? Uh, I would definitely say like strong opinions loosely held is an important one. Learn learn to basically try to figure out the middle ground because if if 
if the answer is always no, you can't build that. Nobody's going to want to talk to you and they're just going to go around you. So be an enabler. Um, prepared that you're going to have a good chunk of your time spent mentoring. That is that is normal. And if it's if it's a if it's a problem, then maybe principal engineering is not for you. Um, so that that's the second one. And I would say um, learn why the things uh, work a certain way. Um, definitely, it's important to have a healthy level of skepticism. New service comes out. It, the, the 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 PR is listing all the functionality. It's great. Um, learn to read through the lines and figure out which parts actually apply to the problem you're solving versus not, because it's important to be able to tell the difference between I'm solving problem X or I just want to use shiny tool Y. Um, you need to be on the first, not the second. As a principal engineer, the value is you are enabling the rest of the org build things faster, not um, not just like rewrite things for the sake of it or you know just because we want to use this new shiny thing. I'm very much of the Dan McKinley uh, school of like use boring tools to build cool things. Yeah. It's all about the combinations. Be glue. Yes. Speaking of that, like one of the, one of the, my really favorite talks, and I don't know if it's out in video yet, but the slide deck has been floating around a lot by uh, Tanya Riley, um, who formerly of Google now Squarespace of the glue work. It's important. If people are, um, if you are finding yourself in a vantage point where you can tell the product manager is saying one thing and the engineering manager is hearing something else entirely, that's important to be able to identify these things and get people on the same page. That's more important than how the code is going to be built. Yeah, most of our code is glue and a lot of our job is glue. Is, is pouring glue? <laughs> Being Holding glue between together, people and code. I mean, the internet is duct taped together with Bash, Maddie. Like, yeah, <laughs> not even good Bash. No, not. What's what's uh, Brid- Bridget came up with a term the other day, which was I think it was just good enough Bash. And <laughs> yes, it's just, that's that's her whole life. It's just good I feel this very much right now. Yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah, I think uh, we're we're getting to that time. So. Some community and event stuff. If you're the kind of person that wants to get up on stage and talk to people about the DevOpsy kinds of things, and you know, Sylvie, do you give a lot of talks? I've noticed I've been trying to recruit you for stuff, and you always tell me no. I know. I'm sorry. Um, I have three children, and two of them are still toddler, toddler age. So it's rough times. Also, my husband is physician, so his schedule is also a little yeah. heavy. So being able to fly out for a couple of days is not an easy thing to do. And I know, I, I know, I tried, you tried to get me to come to DevOps days. I still haven't managed to do it. I had to do the same thing to Bridget recently too. Yeah. <laughs> it's been tough. Um, but yeah, I have given a couple of talks. I think the last one I gave was at Velocity um, London last fall. That one is on YouTube. Um, I'll, I'll give you a link to my uh, to my blog, which has a link to all of the, the talks that are out there. Oh, great. Um, yeah, we'll put that in the, speak- in the speaking notes. <laughs> and the show notes. Um, so yeah, I've given a few. Uh, I'm sort of trying to take a break this year, just because yeah. uh, there's, I mean, there's a lot going on internally at at my day job. But yeah, I suspect by next year, maybe I'll I'll get the itch again. Okay. So if you, the dear listener, um, would like to, you can find out. There's tons of DevOps days that have open calls for proposals right now. You can check that out at devopsdays.org/speaking. Uh, the CFP for Chicago, which I run, is up until May 3rd. So not sure when we're going to publish this episode, if it is 
before May 3rd, then submit. If it isn't, then go submit to somebody else. Uh, and I think we're going to move into now the section of the show. We don't always do this, but uh, it's, we're, it's checkout. So we're going to kind of go around and say if we got something cool, we want to tell the audience about our listeners to check out. So uh, Sylvia, we'll start with you. The Beyonce movie came out today on Netflix, and you should all watch it. Yeah. It's awesome. <laughs> you, you, I, I highly support doing it with a standing desk, too, because it's going to be a dancing desk. And that's called Homecoming, right? Yeah. See, okay, I, I have that. not yet watched it, but I've got this afternoon. And uh, Jess, do you have anything cool for our audience to check out? You know, just go outside. It's so gorgeous right now. I love spring. I'm so happy. Isn't it? Didn't it just snow in the Midwest? I know it just snowed a ton in Chicago. The only thing it's snowing here is the little flower petals in the tree across the street. It's beautiful. Oh, excellent. We're still in like the two week phase between rainy and cold in California to like stifling hot. I'm in the Inland Empire, so we're going to be hitting 90s very, very soon. And then I've got just a couple to check out. So one... um, that came up on Twitter the other day. Uh, if you're looking for images to use in your presentations or things like that, there certainly are great free sites like Pixabay. But if you want to support artists, there's a great website called Stocksy, S-T-O-C-K-S-Y.com. And so it's affordable stock imagery, but they've got a really great setup with ownership for the artist. So you can make sure that you know, you're actually supporting people who are making your art because exposure doesn't pay the rent. And also, <laughs> I have a shout out for a website called Super Team Deluxe. So that's at superteamdeluxe.com. I have all these really great, fun pins, like little enamel pins. And so shout out to Chloe Condon, who's the one who first clued me into that. I've gotten a couple of really fun pins from there. And one of the best things you can get from them are these. So you know when you get like those pins and they have a little back on them and then the back falls off and you lose the pin and you're sad. So you can get these cool little backs and they're like five bucks for like 20 of them. And they're, they're, they tie on with this tiny, they tighten with this like tiny little Allen wrench and they get on really tight and you never lose the pin. And so it's totally worth it just for those pin backs. Uh, Do they let you upload pictures and and get custom pins? I don't know if they have custom pins. Um, I was amused just enough by what they had. Um, That's really cool. But I, I definitely am a big fan of that. Like, that's the next wave of swag in my mind. Like, so if you're a vendor, like, have cool swag, have cool pins. Because that's, like, the new hotness. Forget about socks. Socks are over. Now it's time for pins. I want definitely. towels. I think we should get hand towels or, like, washcloths. Oh, yeah. I mean, towels. I like, like that. From like golf towels? I mean, not golf, but, yeah. Yeah, like the, the, the light microfiber ones. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that'd be great. Ooh, ooh. Yeah, we're, we're in swag discussion uh, for DevOps Day Chicago now, so I'll have to remember that one. There you Howls. go. Howls it is. It's like it's like a Hitchhiker Guide to the Galaxy galaxy kind of vibe to it, too. You know? Yeah, you, you can have, use it for everything. you got to have your towel. What is it no, for? What isn't it for? Got it. You know, that's what we said about Jess. You know, she knows where her towel's at. For cleaning the grimy <laughs> iPad. No, yeah. That's gross. <laughs> All right. So uh, if you go over to arrestedevops.com slash principal engineer, we will have the episode show notes. So we'll have that link to Sylvia's blog and links to stuff from our, our checkouts and anything else we randomly think of. Uh, if you go to arrestedevops.com slash iTunes, you can leave us a review in the iTunes store. And I'm not just begging because I really like, you know, getting four-star reviews, but it, actually leaving reviews helps other people find the show, which just spreads the love. 
So it's fantastic. Thank you so much, Sylvia, for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm Maddie at Matt Stratton. I'm Jessica at Jessitron. This is Arrested DevOps. So remember, there's always DevOps in the banana stand. <laughs>